It's wonderful to see you here. If, uh, if you've come back after last week, we obviously hooked you in with this whole series of joy, didn't we? Matt did a great job of introducing that series of joy. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, it's wonderful to have you here. And, uh, and we'd love to meet you. My name's Jacinda, and I am the other half of Matt. So we get to lead Coast Vineyard together, and uh, it is one of our great joys. And, uh, and we have actually just started a series on joy. Matt kicked it off last week. We've got this session today. Next week, we'll pause for Easter, and then we'll have two more weeks after that. And uh, it's good. It's really good. As we're preparing for this whole series, you know, we're looking at all this material. It's like, there is just too much to fit in. So uh, it's a fun thing to be doing together. It's interesting. On Friday, we got an email. Uh, it was the National Geographic how geeky are we? <laughs> um, but they uh, were sending out all this information about all kinds of different things. And one of the things was this link to the World Happiness Report. Who knew there was such a thing? It's, they've been doing this for six years, and it's a global report that they do for the United Nations. And they research and they do all this you know, investigative stuff with 156 countries around the world. And uh, you will be happy to say here that uh, New Zealand is in the top ten. Yes, we are. We're number eight. But I've got to tell you, actually, that uh, I have quite a strong affinity for Switzerland, number five, because what they said was, this has got nothing to do with any of the criteria they measure, but interestingly, people who live in Switzerland, they think average intake of chocolate is about 11 kilos per annum. <laughs> I just felt my heart drawn, you know, to Switzerland. If ever I need to move, I know where to go. <laughs> it's a great source of joy. Uh, it's really not, but it kind of is. Um, so that has nothing to do with anything, the chocolate part, except that, isn't it interesting, that there's this whole move in the last 20 years towards looking at what they call positive psychology. I actually think God's been into positive psychology for a lot longer but uh, it used to be that with psychology, they were focused on treating mental health issues, and it was kind of um, trying to move people that were seriously unhappy and, and make them less unhappy. But there's been this move in the last 20 years of actually looking at what are the positive parts of our psychology and how do we maximise those? How do we actually grow those? How does it work? And all of that. So there's been all this amazing research done into things like happiness as a result, and this report has been one of those things. Last week, Matt uh, did a fantastic job of kind of laying the whole, you know, setting the scene for this whole series, and a couple of big takeaways from last week, and if you weren't here, I'm just going to very quickly recap, and for those of us that were here, it's like a whole week ago, so we might not remember. 90% um, of our happiness or our joy is down to us. Only 10% is dictated by our circumstances. And yet the way that we tend to live and the way that we talk about happiness and the things we look to to make us happy, we tend to look at external things, don't we? Or, you know, like our circumstances are the things that we think make us happy or joyful or not. But that's not reality. There's this combination of the way that we're made, our DNA, as well as the way that our brains process and engage with the world. And that means that we are hardwired to be able to choose. We can choose joy. We can choose happiness. It's within us. 
And all of the things that we think are going to make us happy, this is the other big takeaway from last week, all of the things that we generally go to, you know, status, uh, career, money, uh, stuff, you know, our relationships, those are not the things that give us lasting happiness. All of the research that's been done in this last 20 years, over and over and over and over again, they're finding that's not how this works. And so we are, over this next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the things that actually do help make us happy, that bring us joy, that give us the ability to cultivate these things in our life, because essentially, joy is a choice. Here's a great quote, it's written by Joseph Hart in his article, Five Ways to Practice Happiness. Happiness, or joy, hinges on our choices, attitudes, and thoughts, and when we know more about how those choices, attitudes, and thoughts affect the quality of our lives, we have a powerful recipe for cooking up more lifelong joy, meaning, and satisfaction. Does that sound like something you want? Yeah. I want it. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Joy, so this is one of the other things Matt did last week, was just define, well, what is joy? You know, and like joy, happiness, how does that all work? Psychologists would say that joy comes from being at peace with who you are, why you are, and how you are. Whereas, and it's something that's more enduring. Happiness is triggered by ex external events, and it's more a feeling that kind of comes and goes. Uh, Kay Warren, who is, uh, her and her husband lead Saddleback Church in California. It's massive, it's like a small town, really, uh, their congregations. Uh, but she wrote a book called Choose Joy Because Happiness Isn't Enough. In it, she says this is her definition of joy. So this is coming from the perspective of someone with faith. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all of the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. So that, you know, we've kind of got multiple ways of looking at this. And so we're going to look at today, Recipes for Joy, part one, because <laughs> there's just too much to fit in one day. So you'll have to come back. Uh, so we're going to look at some of the key ingredients that we want to be able to create this long-term enduring joy. We're going to use biblical sources, we're going to use secular and scientific sources, as well as some of the sources from our own lives as we look at that. And it's important for us, uh, you know, there's, some people really wrestle with this thing of, you know, is science safe? Is secular sources safe for us and as sources of truth? And, and, so, and because we're tapping into all of that, I want to preempt any of that by saying that all truth is God's truth. Augustine of Hippo, who was a philosopher and theologian in the very early church, he lived in the 300s to 400s AD. His reasoning was simple, and his, his work with theology is foundational in terms of so much of our theology today, and it's been built on. And he said, all truth is God's truth, since God is the author of all reality. John Calvin, who was the great reformer of the Protestant Revolution in the 1500s, he adds to that and says, all truth is from God, and consequently, if wicked men have anything to say that is just and true, we ought not to reject it, for it has come from God. So we still have a job to do, because we, are, we know the source of truth, God. The more we know him, the more easy it is for us to weigh what we encounter, but it doesn't mean that we have to wipe everything else off in terms of, you know, taking things on board just because it isn't necessarily written in black and white in the Bible, okay? So you're going to hear us use, Matt last week used a whole bunch of science in this whole thing, and we're going to continue to do that, but we don't have to be afraid of that. God's God. It's all good. 
okay? All right, first thing, first ingredient for us as we are looking at this recipe for joy, the first ingredient is we need to change our minds. We need to change our minds. What we think about and how we think about those things is really important because when we think about certain things, it releases dopamine. And Matt did a whole big thing on dopamine last week, but basically it's the stuff that makes us feel good. It's this chemical that our brain creates when, it, when we feel good, that actually makes us feel good. So what we think about will determine our joy. So we need to be careful what we think about. We want to think right about the right things. Every time that we think about something, nerve cells talk to each other and they send these chemicals to one another and they are neurotransmitters. Am I sounding really smart right now? Yeah, don't ask me any more than that. Um, but our thoughts create these neural... Tra new, uh, using these neurotransmitters... Yes, I blew it right there. Um, but they create neural pathways. Now, loads of those are created while we're still in the womb and while we're young. These neural pathways in our brain... And so over time, the more that we think the same way about the same things, they create a pathway. And so our brain goes to the point of least resistance. Uh, I've got a, an image up there of uh, kind of grooves in a road. It's a road in Pompeii, actually. Um, and it's just these grooves have been created by repeated use over and over and over and over again. And that's kind of what these pathways are like. Like it just creates these grooves that our brain starts to just regularly default to. The good news is, is that that can change. Where we have maybe got these pathways that actually are unhelpful for us, ways of thinking that are unhelpful for us, where we want to change our mind, that's actually possible. Habits create these pathways. Habits of thinking about certain things in certain ways. Dopamine, that neural transmitter that we talked about, that makes us feel good and it makes us feel happy, it turns on the learning centres in our brain. Apparently, when they wire you up, that's what happens. Here's some sobering news for those of us getting older. If we don't use our dopamine, if we don't continually exercise it, we lose it. You can't store it. You, you, those synapses actually start to break down as we get older, just if they, if from lack of use. So we want to continue to be thinking about things in the ways that actually are going to create dopamine to be doing its thing. And the pathways can change. It's, that's the wonderful thing. There's all this science now about neural plasticity. It's another big word for the day. It's like the, quite the day, really. Uh, I'm not a science person at all, so you should be super impressed. Um, but neural pl plasticity, they've done all this research and it's this exciting sort of arena now where they are realising the brain can rewire itself in amazing ways. So which is really important if you've had some injury and lost use of one part of your body, your brain can learn how to do something in a different way to be able to get it back. It's just phenomenal. But what all of that means is, is that pieces of scripture that we have been reading in certain ways for so long can take on a whole new light for us. If we have a look at Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not, this is Paul's letter to the church in Rome. He says, Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is literally possible, physically possible. Our brains can literally be renewed, rewired, new pathways created, depending on what we do with it, 
how we think about the things that we think about. So how do we go about trying to change our minds? How do we do this whole thing? One way could be Christian meditation. Now, for many of us, I know in my growing up years, meditation was kind of a quite scary thing because it had sort of been grabbed a hold of by a lot of Eastern religion and, you know, New Age stuff and all of this. And so it didn't seem to particularly safe. And in the parts of the church I grew up in, it was never talked about. However, over and over and over through Scripture, we are encouraged to meditate on God's Word, on God Himself, over and over again. And throughout the history of the church... That has been a common practice. I think there are parts of the church, we've kind of lost it a little bit, but we can reclaim it. The, the difference is with Christian meditation is we're not trying to empty our mind and not be attached to anything. We actually are trying to become more attached and more focused on the source of our love, who is God. That's the difference. And so... As we're thinking about, okay, I want to be conscious about what, I want, what I'm going to think about. I want to fill my mind with the goodness of God. Meditation simply means to contemplate, to think deeply, to be focused on. Oh, here's a good word, ruminate. It's for us to sit with, you know, and sort of chew over a thing. So what does Scripture tell us will happen as we do this? if we are listening and focusing and ruminating on God and his word. Psalm 1, 2 and 3 says this, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now let me just say, uh, in the Old Testament, which is before Jesus was uh, alive, all they had of God's word was really the law. We now have the fullness of all scripture. They didn't have that, so that's, that's why they're only referring to that. But for us, let's just say, let's, let's meditate on his word day and night, all of it. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Meditation, resting in, ruminating on God and his word is going to lead us to that kind of life, that kind of being one that is fruitful, one that is like lush and life-filled. This is something that we can grab a hold of. And as, we, you know, as we've discovered, dopamine is released when we are thinking about good things. These are good things. He is good things. So it's a great way of keeping our dopamine going is for us to meditate on him and his word. We won't ever have it run out as we get old. Study uh, that's been referenced by a, a psychologist in California, and her name is a bit tricky, Sonia Lubomirsky is my attempt at her name. Um, she found when she was doing research that if someone will just sit quietly for half an hour each day and focus their thoughts on kindness and compassion, their brain function starts to change within two weeks. So all of those scriptures that encourage us to be quiet with the Lord, Jesus modeling, getting away and being quiet with his father, all of that is super good for us. And it will change our minds. Literally, it has the power to do that. Another study where they wired up people during meditation and their meditation was focused on compassion, when they did that, their brain scans lit up in different parts of the brains when they are focused on compassion and kindness. Thinking about good things is good for us. 
That knowledge changes how we read Scripture. There's huge power here. In Philippians 4 verse 8, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Fill our minds with these things. And I cannot help but think, look at that and think, who personifies all of that? Jesus does. Think about him. Think about all the things of the kingdom that are good, that are right, that are pure, that are lovely. And it fills our minds, changes our minds. So I'm going to like throw in bits of practice for us all the way through this message, all right? So here's something you could try at home, is actually have a go at this. Why not, for the next two or three weeks, put aside half an hour each day, get as quiet as you can, and I know for some of us that is easier than others, uh, but just get as quiet as you can and focus your mind on a piece of scripture. It might be your favorite piece of scripture, or it could just be one that God brings to mind. It might be in the context of this, uh, Nehemiah 8 verse 10, which says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Where you just sit with that, meditate on that, or it could be Jesus himself. There might be an aspect of him that you just adore. Spend half an hour a day doing that for the next few weeks and see what changes for you. Notice what changes. Okay, so that's the first ingredient. Second one is to shift our perspective. It's another key ingredient. That same psychologist that I just referenced, Sonia Lubomirsky, she wrote two books, The How of Happiness and Myths of Happiness. And she undertook a whole lot of research that showed that the greatest influences on increasing our joy is our ability to reframe our situation more positively, shift our perspective, our ability to experience gratitude, and our choice to be kind and generous. It kind of sounds like familiar territory, really, doesn't it, some of this? Now, there's a great book that was published in 2015. It's called The Book of Joy, and it has a whole bunch of stuff in this about shifting our perspective and reframing, as, as the psychologists would call it. It's a week of interviews by an author, uh, Douglas Abrams, and he uh, met for a week with the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. He got them together for this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, really, to spend time with two men that are in their 80s that are profoundly spiritual men and ask them to wrestle with this question of how do we find joy in the face of life's inevitable suffering? That was the question that they were working with all week. And they come up with a definition of joy. They look at some of the obstacles to joy as well as uh, the things that they would say are crucial for joy in our lives to be able to grow. And they call them eight pillars of joy and they're qualities of the mind and the heart. And they are perspective, humility, humor, acceptance, forgiveness, gratitude, compassion, and generosity. They would say that those are the eight pillars. If you're wanting to actually grow this in you, those are the things we would want to attend to. And they, they would say this, a healthy perspective really is the foundation of joy and happiness because the way we see the world is the way we experience the world. When we reframe our situation with positivity often enough, we can change our minds, remember. We can create new pathways around that that enable us to look at it from a more positive perspective. They reference in the book this uh, 
woman in her 90s. Her name is Dr. Edith Eva Eager. I practiced that a little bit, I have to say. She's a 91-year-old Auschwitz survivor. She was 16 when she was uh, taken to the camps. And she last year just published a memoir called The Choice. When she uh, was rescued from the camp, she eventually ended up in America. She trained as a psychologist, she is a PhD, and she works a lot with people around this whole area of trauma. Uh, and so her book is around her own experience of trauma as well as what she's worked with with her patients. And she tells this story. Edith Eva Eager oh, uh, tells the story of visiting two soldiers on the same day at William Beaumont Army Medical Center at Fort Bliss. Both were paraplegics who had lost the use of their legs in combat. They had the same diagnosis and the same pro prognosis. The first veteran, Tom, was lying in his bed, knotted into a fetal position, railing against life and decrying his fate. The second, Chuck, was out of bed in his wheelchair, explaining that he felt as if he had been given a second chance in life. As he wheeled through the garden, he had realized that he was closer to the flowers and he could look right into his children's eyes. Eager often quotes fellow Auschwitz survivor Viktor Frankl, who has another brilliant book if you're ever looking for good books, The Meaning, Man's Search for Meaning, that is. And he said that our perspective toward life is our final and ultimate freedom. She explains that our perspective literally has the power to keep us alive or to cause death. That's how big a deal shifting our perspective it is. We can shift our perspective to a positive frame because we know that we can trust God. It gives us an advantage. Kay Warren, who I quoted earlier, who wrote that book, this isn't just easy platitude type things to say. This is a woman who has lost a child to mental health and to uh, suicide in the last number of years. And they had to do that on a global stage, really. Everyone watched them go through that and go through their grief. And she is saying that joy, we can have joy and we can look at things from a positive perspective because ultimately God is in control and everything will turn out all right in the end. This is real. We can then increasingly say with confidence and with our experience, and I know many of you would be able to say this from Romans 8 verse 28, we know that all things work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. How many times have many of us had to lean into that scripture in the midst of things that have stretched us beyond what we thought we could take and go, but I know that God works all things together for good for me, even though it doesn't look or feel like it right now. Or Psalm 28 verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song I praise him. I choose joy. Charles Swindle, who is a, an American evangelist and pastor and author, he says, the happiest people I know are the ones who have learned how to hold everything loosely and have given the worrisome, stress-filled, fearful details of their lives into God's keeping. We can't do that overnight, but we can keep making choices to do that over and over and over again until we've changed our minds. What helps us shift our perspective? Well, we just choose over and over, and we practice. 
It's a bit like, you know, with a camera, you know, with the big lens, you can kind of zoom right into a close-up or you can take a wide-angle approach. When we do the close-up thing, which when sometimes when we're in some situations, it feels like our situation is completely overwhelming and we just cannot get beyond it. However, we can choose to take a more wide-angle approach where we look at it within the context of the whole of our lives, not just this moment or this day or this week, but in the context of our whole lives. And it makes things way more manageable. It's a bit like kind of having a God's eye perspective to it. And we can ask him for that. Ecclesiastes 3, I heard this years and years and years ago when I was wrestling with a whole bunch of stuff and was um, not doing well and was suffering from depression. And, and it was just so hope-filled because it was, there is a se- time and a season for everything, which means that even if I'm in a really tough season, there will come an end. There is something else coming. Please, God, let it be good, you know. There's a time and a season to everything. So here's something you can practice. Think of a negative experience in your life from your past. And then instead of just focusing on all the negative, the close angle, overwhelming part, take the wide angle approach, reframe it, shift your perspective, what good came out of it. Write down, write down all of the good that came out of that hard thing or that negative experience that we had. I know for me, we moved to the UK, we lived over there for three years and we ended up having our first child there and I was really close with my extended family. I never expected to be living away that long and to have to actually have my first child away from my family. And at the time, my, fa- my parents couldn't make the trip. My mum had damaged her back in an injury and couldn't make the flight. And so I remember just going through all this grief, all of the things I'd hoped for you know, in terms of having my first baby, it just wasn't happening. And it was really hard. However, I can also now look back on that and see that God allowed me space for me to learn how to be a mum the way he wanted me to be a mum. He uh, showed me how to be a mum the way that I am made. He also allowed me to experience the reality of the family of church. We had friends that were our family in that. I wouldn't have experienced that otherwise. I would have needed to. So there's good that can come from every situation we're in. All right, I'm looking at time. I got way too much stuff. Okay, that's two ingredients, and I'm going to whiz through the third one, which is really big. Um, But it's cultivating joy-creating habits. So we're working on changing our mind. We're doing what we can to shift our perspective to a more positive frame. And the other thing we can do is actually intentionally cultivate habits that actually create joy. And it's not the fleeting, hmm, I feel good in the moment. It's that solid, bedded down, enduring joy. Sonia Lubomirsky, she wrote in that book, The How of Happiness, she has 12 happiness activities that you can actually engage in. And, uh, but the thing is, is we all know, much as we would love everything to just be available by flipping a switch or change to happen overnight, it just doesn't. You know, change just takes time. Anything new is going to just take effort and intent and practice over and over and over and over again. So we need to go into all of this with our eyes wide open with realistic lenses on, okay? 
It takes effort, but it pays off. One of the pastors we spent time with when we were visiting a number of churches in the States last year, he's, well, he must be coming up for retirement now. He's in his 60s. And uh, we got to spend the day with him. He's been a kind of a long-distance mentor for us for over 20 years. And uh, we spent the day with him and with his wife in Chicago. And the, but one of the things that struck us as we spent the day with him is that just every now and then he would just start chuckling. And, you know, like kind of we couldn't really see what it was he was chuckling about. He was just enjoying the day. You know, just like at funny random times, he'd just start chuckling away and you'd just be like... That's kind of cool. He just really was loving the whole day, you know? His people, his church, the time, I guess the time with us. It was just, I'm like, I want to be like that when I grow up. I want to twinkle in my eye and I want to chuckle. All right, here we go. Here's some things we can do that will be able to uh, help us to cultivate these sorts of habits. The first one is express gratitude. So, I've got a whole heap of notes. I'm going to whiz through these and I'll just give you the things that you could maybe practice, okay, at home. Practice journaling each night something you're grateful for in your day. There is actually a spiritual practice called the examine that actually does that. So if you want to, you can Google that, E-X-A-M-E-N. It's an Ignatian spirit practice, a spirituality practice. And uh, it just gets you to review your day from a place of gratitude and to pray accordingly. That's how you end your day. I met someone who's an older lady, but just recently she started doing that. She said, it's amazing. I start the next day in a way more positive frame of mind. She said, I'm really, I wasn't expecting that. So anyway, there you go. So practice that. The thing is, as we relive these things from a positive place, it releases dopamine. All right, we're just going to help rewire things. Okay, second thing, cultivate optimism. Uh, another social psychologist for, from UC Davis, Alison Legerwood, um, she said that it's actually, it's hard. It takes effort to get unstuck from negativity. Our brains, there's a, for whatever reason, it's re, it, we all know this, it's easier to stick with the negative than it is with the positive. How many of us... Uh, have done something, we get loads of positive feedback from somebody and we get one negative comment. What's the thing we wrestle with for the next week? You know, the one thing. There's something in us that it's hard to kind of just shelve that and stick with the positive. So it's going to take effort for us, but here's two things we can practice. When you're in a bad mood, don't ruminate. Don't meditate on that. Do not go over and over and over and over and over it in your head when you're in a bad mood. It's toxic. The second thing is re rehearse telling good news and then share it. Rehearse it. Bad stuff just seems, you know, the bad news just seems to propagate itself. We have to make an effort to nip that in the bud, flip it, and do the positive. Tell the good news. So practice. So if when you get home at the end of your day and you're talking to your husband about your day and you're just like, wah, 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 all these things went wrong, wah, maybe as a couple or as friends or in your life group or whatever, we could actually go, yeah, but what good happened in your day today? Tell me about that. Because there is always something. So we can practice. All right. Next thing, avoid overthinking and social comparison. It's a killer social comparison. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, finish each day and be done with it. You've done what you could. Some blunders and absurdities have crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Just forget them. Tomorrow is a new day and you shall begin it serenely and with too high a spirit to be encumbered with your old nonsense. I love that. Don't be encumbered with the nonsense. 
We're going to make mistakes. Okay, but just like finish the day. Choose to be done at the end of the day. And the examine and doing that gratitude thing will help with that. Okay, practice acts of kindness. Well, we probably know enough about that that I don't need to tell you to do more of it. But they're saying that if we do that every day, that actually is a really good thing for us. Nurture social relationships. Practice that. Spend time with your friends and your families. A lot of us, once we get into parenting, we are immersed in our families, aren't we? Because it's just intense in different seasons. But we can do that at the expense of losing friendships. So we need to prioritise, you know, and we've had to do this a number of times over the last 20 some years without, you know, in our parenting journey and just life, you know, and, uh, and realise we actually have to prioritise and be intentional about keeping our friendships alive. Because when our kids have left home and we're older, I want my friends. I want to still have enough glue in our relationship. So I have to keep making instalments all the way along. Spend time with friends. Number six, develop strategies for coping. Basically, guys, this just takes humility, which is one of the pillars of happiness or, you know, creating joy. It's humility and accepting that we are not all figured out, that we do not have all the answers and that we need other people. So if we need counselling, get it. If we need a self-help book, read it and do what they say. You know, talk to people, get help. If we're doing things that are unhelpful and we do it over and over and over again, get help. Whatever it takes, it's worth it. Number seven, we need to learn to forgive. Well, how many times have we read that in Scripture? But really, we need to learn how to forgive. Matthew, if you're not sure if you need to forgive someone, try praying for God's best for them. If you can't, there might be a thing that you need to attend to. Seriously, if we can't pray for God's best for somebody, then there's some hard stuff we need to work through. We need to practice forgiving. Increasing flow experiences. Now, this is a man whose name I really cannot say. He's a Hungarian psychologist, um, and I'm honestly not even going to try. Uh, but he, uh, he came up with this whole uh, concept of flow, which has become quite a big deal. And it says, flow is the state of total immersion while doing an activity. Now, we see this all the time in children. They do it without even thinking. You know, they become immersed in that Lego thing that they're building or in the book that they're reading or the make-believe thing that they're in. You know, they're fully immersed. It's like they just forget everything else. We lose it as we get older. So we need to be intentional about doing more of that. For some of us, that might be gardening. If you don't have a garden... I have one that I can lend you, uh, that you can immerse yourself in. Uh, or it could be, it's playing an instrument, or it could be, you know, working with your hands, you know, in a workshop, whatever it is, but create and do those experiences that where you can just lose yourself in that moment. It helps us to be present. And actually, Brother Lawrence, in his book, Practicing the Presence, he was a kitchen hand and a cobbler, and he found ways to engage fully in what he was doing and encounter God there. So as we practice that, why don't we do that and invite God's presence into that moment? Okay, number nine, savouring life's joys. Uh, I'm not going to go into that, but you can Google this, 40 Days of Happiness, uh, a happiness practice. It was a blog piece by Huffington Post in 2013 where for 40 days it gives you all these different things you could do and uh, you can explore that at your leisure. Uh, number 11, practicing spirituality. 
Oh, sorry, committing to your goals, number 10. Committing to your goals. All right, if you don't have any, make some. Uh, have a goal, have a project or something that you're working towards and then commit to it and do it. Okay? Number 11, practicing spirituality. Here you are. This is part of it. Being church together is part of practicing our spirituality. One study, which was a secular study, found that senior citizens who tried to live out their faith in everyday life reported higher levels of happiness than seniors who simply went to church to socialize. This is not a, this is not a, a faith-based piece of research. This is secular. And yet they found the difference of people who are actually trying to work out their faith very different from those of us who just come to hang out with our mates. Not that that's bad, but there's more than that on offer. We're told in Scripture to work out our salvation, to work out our faith. We are called, Jesus calls us to live like kingdom subjects because that is who we are. So we want to be energetic about that. So your joy practice then is where is God inviting you to grow in your relationship with him at the moment? And not two of us in this room will probably say the same thing because it's, it's an individual journey. But attend to that. Ask the question. Listen to what he has to actually say. And he'll just drop an, an idea into your head and your heart and you'll go, yep, that's, that's where I need to start right now. And then give yourself to that. And the last thing, number 12, is take care of your body. And, uh, and they are uh, encouraging you to do that through meditation, through physical activity, through eating well. So for us, it's like, well, what's most important for each one of us at the moment in terms of our physical health? Where do we need to start? It might be sleep. It might be exercise. It might be changing how we eat. But as you look at that 12... And you're like, oh, there's just like, there's a lot, you know, where do I even start? Start with what inspires you. Notice what you notice, you know? So as all of these things have kind of popped up here, what kind of has grabbed you? Start there. And it might be a couple of different things, and then you can just add as you go. But that these become our habits. And then we just practice. We practice changing our minds. We practice shifting our perspective so that we reframe things to be a more positive perspective. And we practice joy-creating habits. Those are some of the key ingredients for us if we're wanting to grow joy in us. But we want to remember that we actually know the source of all this, the source of joy, the one who personifies it, the one who freely gives it away and adds to our own efforts. We don't have to try and oh, just drum it up, you know? Because there are, there are seasons when joy is beyond us. We're immersed in pain or grief or suffering. And that's part of the human journey, our journey. But joy is always an option. It's always within our reach. He places joy within us and we can choose to allow that to flourish in the midst of those things. So let's remember that we can keep going to God and asking for this as well as doing what we can in this. It's always a partnership, isn't it? It's always, you know, him doing stuff in us and us trying to do our part as well. But let's choose joy. Let's choose, you know, like, honestly, let's be this kind of people. 
so that when people see us, it's not that we pretend like that we float through life and everything is great. We're real because we know it's not always like that. However, we can know joy and be joy-filled people and give that away, just the way Steve was talking about before, you know, that we would have this aroma that would be, I mean, Jesus, people wanted to hang out with him. He was not some dour, grumpy old guy that no one wanted to be around. People invited him to their parties. He made the parties better. You know, that's, that is who we belong with. That's the family we're a part of. Let's that be part of who we are, increasingly, day by day, more and more. And let's keep calling that out in each other, reminding each other, what happened that was good in your day? Tell me about it. Let's finish with Psalm 33, verse 20 and 21. We are depending on God. He is everything we need. And what's more, our hearts brim with joy since we've taken for our own His holy name. Our hearts brim with joy because we're in His family. He's our Father. We depend on Him. So all of the stuff I'm, you know, like that I've thrown out that we can practice, it's part of it, but let's keep depending on Him to lead us in it. We're going to finish up, and uh, when I was talking to God about, you know, Lord, what do you want to do today? Um, it's a kind of, I was thinking, well, you know, you're talking about joy. You can't really do a whole series on joy and not give the opportunity for people to get some. Uh, and, uh, and it was interesting that Matt, you know, wanted to pause at the end of worship because there was people here that just needed some hope, you know, their hope to be rekindled, that God would just sort of make a deposit in terms of keeping that alive. And I kind of feel like that with joy for us today. Um, I'll get the worship guys back up. And why don't we stand? And the reason we have you stand is just so that you can actually get, get sore sitting down for a while. <laughs> yep, especially on the bleachers. Tried that. <laughs> but it also changes our engagement with what happens. So in a room with this many people in it, we're going to have people here who life's going swimmingly. And we feel like, you know, we've got a lot of these things that we're working on and that we're sort of starting to cultivate. And there are other of us that are hearing this and going, I don't even know where to start, but I want that. And I, do, I kind of feel like God would, would give us a gift of joy if we ask for it, at least a starting point, you know, or even that he would help to lead us in amongst, you know, all of the things that we've heard this morning as a place to start. And so I'm not going to invite anyone up the front, uh, but I am going to just ask that wherever we are, and wherever we are in the room, but wherever we are in our lives right now, that there's the opportunity for us to go, I just want some of that. I don't quite know where to start. I'm kind of one of those glass half empty people. This isn't going to come easy, you know, but I want that. I want to be that person. I want to grow and create my own recipe for joy in my life. And I think God can actually help kickstart that for us. So, is there anything? No? Wherever we are, if you want to pop your hand up, if that's you, then just pop your hand up. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to ask some people around you, who you'll probably know, some of them, to pray with you. Because we're all in this together. One of those things that we want to do to cultivate joy is to actually do kind things for other people and one of the kindest things we can do is to pray 
and love on people that way. So if that's you, just pop your hand up. I'm not going to labour the point, but I do want to make room for it. And so if you feel like you need a bit of an injection or a gift of joy from God this morning, why don't you slip your hand up? Cool. Thank you. 